Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and it's a warm welcome back to the book club for the host of British Invaders podcast and Hooked on Bond. Welcome back, Brian Do. Brian, uh, thanks for coming back on the book club. Hello, it's good to be here. Oh, it's fantastic to have you back. Now we've got, we'll get straight to it. We've got an interesting, very interesting pick this time. Tell me about the book that you suggested that we might cover on the book club. Well, yes, it is one that's a little bit unusual. It is The Avengers, Steed and Mrs. Peel. And it's a collection of comic strips that were originally published in Diana. And we'll talk a little bit about Diana Comic in just a moment. This is, as you say, The Avengers from Diana Comic uh, collects these stories that originally appeared in December 1966, I believe. Sadly, I think the writer is unknown, but we know the artists Emilio Frejo and Juan González Alecro, um, if I'm getting those pronunciations right. Um, so, very interesting. We'll get to possibly some connections with 2000 AD later on. Let's start with a quick recap, Brian. The Avengers on British television. Uh, fill us in. What was that series? Okay, that was an iconic series that was quite long-running in the 60s. It ran for six series from 1961 through 1969, 161 episodes, it was an espionage series that gradually incorporated some science fiction elements, so it became, as would be called, a spy-fi adventure series uh, with John Steed, played by Patrick McNee, throughout. And he always had a co-star and for most of it, there would be a woman there as his co-star. And you had a partnership of the two of them working on these sort of crime and espionage type uh, stories and, you know, solving these things that would come up in each episode. And the best known uh partner in this for John Steed was Emma Peel, played by Diana Rigg, and she was in that role for a couple of years in Series 4 and Series 5, in about 1965 to 68. As you say, it is just a fantastic British series. Um, We'll talk about covering it on British Invaders a bit later on as well, but it's absolutely iconic, and of course, when you're searching for the Avengers and a comic book, um, it does. You have to be careful because obviously you're going to get conf- it can get confused with American Avengers um, in comic books. This is quite different. Yes, completely unrelated, but uh, it does show us something about how in the early 1960s there could be a hugely successful uh, show on. ITV in the UK, which The Avengers was in 1963, when Marvel created a comic book called The Avengers, and 
they would just not know about what was happening in the UK. That was how things worked at the time. Uh, you know, the separation across the Atlantic was much more profound for pop culture. Yeah, it was indeed quite a vast space between them. Um, now, obviously, as I say, uh, this was published in a comic called Diana, which was a weekly comic for girls from DC Thompson, that great British comic publisher. Uh, it ran from 1963 to 1976. Quite difficult to find out too much about Diana comic. I know that it was... Um, Noted to have at the time better quality paper and printing than many of its competitors and also more colour pages per issue than was perhaps usual at the time. So it was quite a good quality comic. And the Avengers ran in issues 199 to 224 from December 66 to June 1967. And of course... We deal with, you know, usually deal with collected editions on this podcast, Brian. But if you look for collections of Diana comic, you're not going to find any until we get to the slightly uh, twisty story of how this one came to be collected. It is pretty unusual because it comes through Big Finish Productions. And you may know them as producers of audio dramas and sometimes talking books. The audio medium is really their primary medium. Uh, they're best known, I think, for their Doctor Who audio dramas, which have been running for many years now. But they've done lots of things based on... Uh, different TV properties and and so on. Uh, also public domain things like Sherlock Holmes and so on. And we have touched on them before because right back on episode 32, you were my guest and we did the Strontium Dog audios from Big Finish. And then more recently in episode 96, we covered, um, I think, some more recent adaptations of those Doctor Who stories that had appeared in comic book first and then been adapted into audio plays, Brian. That's right. They were in the Doctor Who magazine, uh, the comic book portion of Doctor Who... Of, it was then Doctor Who Weekly, what would become Doctor Who magazine. Uh, it started in 1979. And yeah, we talked about some of those comics and then we talked about Big Finish's adaptations of the comics into audio dramas. So you've mentioned that Big Finish gets the sometimes get licenses to produce audios based on television uh, properties. With the Avengers, um, would I be right in thinking that there's certain limitations on what they can and cannot adapt for audio? There are. The rights holder for the Avengers is Studio Canal, and because of the various vagaries of how things are set up, they could not license new stories for the Avengers. They could only license adaptations. And initially what Big Finish did was they adapted the Series 1 television episodes of the Avengers because almost all of those are missing. So they 
made their own new versions with uh, Julian Wadham playing Steed and they had Anthony Howell playing Dr. Keel, who was there in the in series one. And they did those as adaptations of those original scripts and stories. And when they were running out of those, they were looking for other things to adapt. And it was uh, someone from Studio Canal, Massimo Moretti, who was uh, quite enthusiastic about what Big Finish was doing and went to David Richardson, senior producer at Big Finish, and said, you know, do you know about these comics from Diana? And I guess the answer probably was no, they didn't. But they then realised they had a sort of, I guess, a potent source of material that they could adapt for audio. That's right. There were a total of eight serialized stories that uh, that Diana had published with the Avengers. And what David Richardson and Big Finish decided was that they wanted to adapt all eight of them to audio. But not only that, they wanted to... Uh, do a collection to reprint the actual comics as well. Uh, and they did that. That's what we're looking at now is Big Finish's reprint of the Diana comics in collected form. And that is the only um, comic book uh, release uh you know, aside from little inserts and things that uh, that Big Finish has done. And have they, I mean, not not comic books, but have they released uh, other books, physical books, um, as well as audios? Yes, they certainly have. They have published uh, a number of different um, books over the years at one time they were doing doctor who short stories collected into the short crypts books uh those are no longer available because they lost that license um they have published some uh blake seven books and um things like bernie summerfield books they've done a number of different uh novels and short story collections over the years uh i don't know if they're still doing any now but it's not that long i mean it's maybe a few years since they've um they've published books but definitely over the years they have done uh quite a number of them uh including a couple of sort of coffee table books that are like making of type things that have some photos in them and that sort of thing. So they have done some things uh, in print media, but uh, in terms of graphic storytelling, they've done very little. I think they did look into doing original, uh, original comics at some point, but found that because their focus was audio, it was just too uh, expensive for them to get into that. 
Sure. And we'll get to the, the actual Diana comics in just a moment. Um, with Big Finish themselves and these audio productions, I mean, how are the audio players? You've listened to them and I haven't. Um, how do they do with uh, the adaptations and then also with the casting? It's quite wonderful, actually. They did a very nice uh, version of those with these. These were the first comic book adaptations that they did for the Avengers. And it was the first Steed and Peel Avengers they did. So they introduced Olivia Poulet as Emma Peel, who has a voice that sounds quite different from Diana Riggs. But in terms of the performance and the style of it, she does a wonderful Emma Peel. It's, uh, it gets the feel and the approach of that character very nicely. And Julian Wadham always does a good steed, no matter um, who they're matching, matching him up with. And... Uh, he really does have the sound of uh, of Patrick McNee there and does something very nice with the performances. So they do a lovely job there for sure. And the uh, adaptations in terms of the writing, it was all very well done. Uh, they are sort of 50 to 60 minute audio plays, which means they need to uh they need to fill in the details on these stories they need to add more into them because the originals are i think eight pages long each does that sound right yes i think that's I think right it's about, i think it's about eight pages each and they've put a lot into those but it's not as much as you would have in a television story and it's certainly not as much as you would have in an audio story of that length. So they had to flesh them out and add more to them. One of the things they did with that, they made the decision that they would treat them as Series 5 stories rather than Series 4 stories, uh, possibly because they were in color. And I think it is sort of a, a better fit. Um, but it meant that they would include the Mrs. Peel, we're needed um, scene that comes at the beginning of nearly every episode of series five. They added those in for the audio dramas. And it's tricky to make those work for audio because they tend to be quite visual gags. Uh, but they did make them work. So they added that and added other things into the banter that made them really feel like uh, television Avengers episodes and even Series 5 television Avengers episodes more than those original comics did. The extra things they were adding into it was very much to make them feel like television episodes. Right. And am I right in thinking John, uh, you know, John Dorney was one of the writers for Big Finish on these? Yes. Uh, he was sort of taking point as writer 
and I think in some cases script editor for, uh, I should say adapter rather than writer, uh, and, uh, and often script editor for the Avengers. He's done a lot with that. And yes, I believe he was doing that with these as well. Okay. Well, let's turn to the comics uh, as a comic book podcast. Let's get to Diana comic. And as you say, there's eight individual stories, and I think they're eight pages each. And it would be two pages per weekly issue. Uh, We have to say that it's in beautiful colour, and possibly... um, this might be the first time the Avengers would be in colour anywhere. Would that be right, because of the TV? Uh, that might be right. It would be uh, around around that time. So, yeah, it might have been out before Series 5, which is interesting because almost certainly they would have been writing and uh, drawing their, or painting this based on what they had seen in series four but i think it feels a bit more like series five when you read it uh probably because the series was becoming more comic book like in its uh in its approach it was becoming more quirky and a little more out there and including more sort of science fiction elements as it went series five on tv is the first one filmed in color and it it also it's, I think, as we've said elsewhere, Brian, it's sort of peak in that Avengers land feel to it, that slightly surreal, uh, at times, pop arty 60s adventure, uh, Avengers land. Is that right? Yes, it really gets into that, um, that sort of quirky feel. And as you say, the slightly surreal idea with these larger than life characters and. Uh, science fiction elements uh, coming into a something we had mentioned when we talked about this on British Invaders is that sometimes they will present something that looks like a far out science fiction idea and by the end of the story you find out that it was actually faked that there were not uh, you know for example aliens being introduced into the avengers but the things that were that the characters were using to fake it were actually quite advanced and you know sort of had science fiction technology elements to them uh, as well indeed i remember they they do uh they fake a time travel one as well at some one point and as you say there's various other bits and pieces but the technology they use to fake them is quite impressive Yes, it is. And then, you know, they get into uh, robots and they get into, um, uh, you know, all sorts of strange weaponry and what have you. So, uh, yeah, they do have some stuff that's uh, that's quite out there. There's a shrinking machine that can shrink people down that exists in the world of the Avengers. So it definitely has some science fiction elements to it. Cool stuff. Tell us um, a little bit about uh, the stories in this collection, these eight stories. Can you give us a little taste of what sort of adventures uh, John Steed and Mrs. Peel get up to in these comics? Yeah, again, they are sort of quirky, mixing in some um, 
science fiction I- ideas to them. So you get some mad scientist type uh, ideas with things like technology that can control animals to make them aggressive and my, uh, mind control things being incorporated into women's dresses and we get um uh crowd you know groups of people doing uh strange sorts of things and uh, uh stories like the Norse code where we get uh vikings who of course turn out to be a group of people who have decided to live as Vikings and steal an atomic bomb. So we get some uh, fairly out there and uh, quite fun stories in here. And comic books, of course, you can have almost a limitless budget. Uh, Now, at this time on TV, The Avengers was becoming an international hit and getting a bigger budget for the episodes. But even so, they probably couldn't run to uh, ski scenes and chairlifts and helicopter crashes and things like that. But, of course, we get all those in the comics here, don't we? That's right. And I think to a degree in the 60s there was almost a bit of a dialogue between the Avengers and the James Bond films where there were things that were a little bit similar that might happen in one and then another, or, you know, each would be doing its own things. But I think um, there was some awareness and a little bit of, of possibly a back and forth there. And some of the sort of big um, uh, locations and the uh, out there kinds of things that we see in the comics, maybe a bit of that could have been influenced by the James Bond films. Yes, I think so. There's a certain sort of James Bond feel to these stories, I felt. Um, The other thing, of course, that uh, the Avengers, particularly in this era with Diana Rigg, was known for, Brian, was the fantastic costumes that both characters, both lead characters would wear. John Steed's uh, Pierre Cardin's suits on television and Diana Rigg in the sort of height of 60s fashions. And it's interesting that we've got a girls comic here because I thought some of the sort of, uh, again, the costumes depicted in these beautiful painted pages uh, were quite stunning at times. And I think that that may be why it was such a hit in a girls' comic as well. Um, what did you think about the sort of costuming of them in the comics? Yeah, it really fits with what they were doing in Series 5 when they were in colour, where you would have, you know, the bright yellows and these sort of stylish uh, jacket and trousers uh, outfits that... Uh, that Emma Peel would have sometimes dresses as well but yeah these very stylish um, uh, designer uh, looks with you know often the shoes would be matched to the exact color of the, the trousers and so on and yeah they had that feel there 
And they would also, um, in Series 5 of The Avengers, for John Steed's uh, look, you know, he was almost always wearing a suit of some kind. But they made a point of having them be not always just a plain, quote-unquote, boring suit. They would do something interesting with the color or the cut of it, and they would have some uh, quite stylish and interesting things happening there, and of course with the hats and so on. And I think they picked up on that in the comic. And I noticed that, you know, for a comic from the mid-60s, the panel layouts on the pages are very impressive, very dynamic, lots of different shaped panels. Often in, you know, in each story, we would get a sort of tall, narrow panel um, concentrating on Mrs. Peel's costume, which I thought they stood out. And I also noticed at one point uh, one of her leather sort of waistcoated costumes from the tv show turns up on the page um we know that diana rig was not a great fan herself of the leather costumes and they they were sort of phased out during her uh, run on the avengers but they turn up here in the comic books as part of the stylish costumes yes we get a whole variety of those i noticed that there's a lot happening on each page uh, it's not, you know, a page that has just a few panels on it. Each page has a lot of panels on it. And as you say, they do different shapes, and you do get the double-height ones. So it has um, an interesting layout, an interesting design to it, for sure. Uh, the artwork in this really impressed me. The painted artwork apparently was painted from reference photographs, of Diana Rigg and Patrick McNee, and it shows. We have, particularly for the close-ups of Patrick McNee, we have some, you know, lovely-looking portraits of him. You know, they look uh, very good. And I think they're uh, doing the face of Diana Rigg is not... Uh, not always quite as good but they get her hair and her look and sort of how she stands and moves uh, they capture that really well so we'll mention the artists um, I'll say that Diana comic didn't contain credits so it was it obviously it's difficult to know who was working on this but thanks to famous 2080 artist and comic art historian David Roach, we know now that it was Emilio Frejo and uh, Juan Gonzalez Alecro who worked on this. They both were in the same Spanish art studios. Uh, we were talking off air, Brian, about this great tradition of Spanish um, artists working on British comics through the 50s, 60s and 70s. And the work they do here is for these two-page, packed with panels, lots of colour. It's really, it's quite amazing stuff, actually, for a mid-60s British girls comic, I think. Yeah, it. I read quite a few comics that are based on television productions. 
and for capturing those characters. They do very well here. Uh, there are other things that that do pretty well, but this is really a strong, a very strong representation of uh, of those two performers and the action uh, panels that we see sort of capture the style of the action very well also. And I'll just mention quickly that Emilio Freo did do a Judge Dredd story later on with uh, John M. Burns, who's been a guest on this podcast. Uh, so there is a 2008 connection there, <laughs> perhaps slightly tenuous one, but there is a connection. Um, so we just about fit the rules of this podcast that we make up as we go along, Brian. Anyway. Was that work that he did on 2000 AD, was it, was it uh, painted and was it in color? It was, yes. I think he did the painting and, and the color for a John M. Burns um, dread uh, later on in 2000 AD. You, ca- you can see you had mentioned how Diana Comic was known for having better quality paper and and printing and more color pages than other comics at the time. Well, you could see how this would be a comic that you would uh, choose or you would commission to show that off. Yes, it does look beautiful. And this would be great, as you say, on nicer paper stock that they were using at the time. Now, you mentioned likenesses of the actors, um, and I was going to ask you about that. I I particularly noticed uh, Patrick McNee as John Steed on television always had a twinkle in his eye. He seems to... He had a slight twinkle whenever he was playing the part, Um, perhaps slightly less so in those early series when it was slightly more a hard-nosed... um, show, but as it became the Avengers that we all know and love, he had that sparkle, and I think that comes across in the close-ups of his face that we see in this comic. Yeah, it really does, and I don't know if the artists had watched episodes. I don't know if they were screening in uh, in Spain or not. Uh, I understand that they had reference photos, so they were at least working from that. But yeah, they. I think you're right. They did capture that. And of course, sadly, the writer of these strips is lost uh, in time. We don't know the name of the writer. But of course, I have to ask again about the characterization in the writing. Uh, Mrs. Peel and John Steed, famous for their witty repartee, the charisma and sort of chemistry between them. Does that come across in these comic books? Uh, it's pretty good. It's not bad. Um, it just because of the medium and how much story they're packing into eight pages, it is uh, you don't get as many of the the quips and as much of that. But I think they do uh, sort of capture a little bit of it and um, uh, sort of bring that style into it. Fantastic stuff. Um, and of course, we've got eight different stories. Uh, you've mentioned the titles of a couple of them. Did you have any particular favorite of the eight? Uh, one or two. Certainly the Norse Code bringing Vikings into it. <laughs> uh, I've quite enjoyed. That was uh, quite fun and very silly. 
The first one was Return to Castle Diath, which is a sequel to a Series 4 television episode. And that was really neat to see that, and I think they captured uh, some of the feel of that TV episode with this Scottish castle with sort of spooky types of things happening there. Uh, And that was one... When Big Finish did their adaptations, as I mentioned, they bring more of the more of the television Avengers feel into it. And for Return to Castle Diath, they really brought some of the feel of that story, you know, with how they did the music and the dialogue. Uh, they connected it to the original Castle Diath TV episode. Uh, very nicely and uh, you know the um, sort of character chemistry and the quippiness between them uh, they brought a lot of that sort of more so into it in the audio adaptations okay so those ones are standout ones Um, in terms of action sequences because I mean the show again known for its sort of fight sequences um, and we've mentioned there's quite a lot going on on these pages. Uh, there's an awful lot of panels. There's quite a lot of action. How well do you think that comes across? Does it give it that sort of big budget feel, um, almost like the Bond movies? I think it does. Uh, there are uh, scenes with... Um, uh, Steed hitting someone with an umbrella, scenes with our panels with um, uh, Emma Peel doing her uh, her judo throws or her various martial arts things, and I thought that was there. What what did you think about that, Eamon? I thought it was lovely. I thought that I thought each page was just bursting with action. Um, and they managed to get so much into two pages each week. So, yeah, I loved all that. I loved that we get to see Steed produce his sword stick from his umbrella. I loved that we got to see Emma Peel fencing because um, that was a feature of the TV shows as well. I also I have to mention that um, Steed and Peel are noted for their sort of respective cars, his Bentley, her Lotus Elan, and I know some artists rather sort of like uh, quibble or worry about drawing cars in comic books, but they do a fantastic job here of showing the cars as well, don't they? Yes, and they, yeah, they must have had reference photos that included them because they look like the cars that we saw on uh, on TV with um, this, uh, you know, classic. A you know period model Bentley that uh, that John Steed was driving, and especially this very sleek sports car, the Lotus Elan, that uh, that Emma Peel drove. And yeah, you get you get all of that in here. So we've got sixty four color pages in this collection uh, of wonderfully painted artwork that would stand up well against other works from the 60s like the Trigon Empire or so on um we also we get a bit of back matter from Big Finish in the in the collection as well tell us about that Brian 
Yeah, so that, uh, a lot of it was uh, connecting to doing the audio drama adaptations, and they talked to some of the writers who were, uh, who were adapting them. Um, and in, in some sense, you can think of this as uh, a bit of advertising for their, uh, their audio dramas, but I don't mind that, uh, uh, that so much. Um, they had some uh, nice details and some conversation about, uh, about that. Um, again, when it comes to the original comics, there is just not that much information that uh, that they could share about those. Um, they were uh, able to, um, I think, get to the sort of archive copies that Studio Canal had, and uh, I don't think there was that much information available aside from that. Uh, you know, you mentioned the artists, and I think we only know that because of recognizing their styles, not because of any record there was about it. Yes, it is. As I say, it's slightly tricky to find out more information about uh, Diana comic and this Avengers run in the uh, the pages of the comic. Um, usually when you search for it on Google, you're going to find references to the Big Finish adaptations as the uh, the main hits and some articles from John Freeman's Down the Tube site about those adaptations. I notice uh, Richard Sheaf, who's also been a guest on this podcast, who's a great comics historian, had, uh, I think, written about the adaptations again based on the big finish picking them up so it's thanks to big finish that we've got this i think all, all together um is it because you've got I the think so. are are there copies of uh, diana comic floating around have you have you seen those or are they are they um available in uh, you know resale markets uh, these days you can certainly find them on ebay uh, so they do turn up, and the early issues, the sort of pre-700 issues, are now starting to get very expensive. But I dare say it is possible, um, you know, you might be able to pick up this run uh, from, you know, with the Avengers in them. If anybody has tracked them down and done that, please let us know. It would be fascinating to find out. Yeah, absolutely. So... Um, the reproduction, because you've got the hard copy, Brian. I presume it's uh, you've got a nice hard copy. It's all nicely reproduced. I've been looking at the digital version, which we'll get to in a moment. Um, but again, I guess nice paper stock and everything. Yes, it is. It has uh, the feel of being a um, uh, like a small trade paperback. It's um, not glossy paper. It's a matte paper but it's a very nice matte paper and the color and the look of it comes through very well the other nice thing with uh, this being a big finish release is that when you buy the hard copy from them you get a copy of the pdf bundled in with it so i have looked at both and they really do look um uh pretty much identical they look like the um the same you know really off the same sources 
And I actually read this in the digital form because I like to be able to zoom in on the individual frames. The detail is just so nice that it's nice to be able to uh, to take a closer look. Uh, but having flipped through the hard copy and sort of looked at all the art in the hard copy, it does look very good. It's fantastic. And uh, yes, big finish to be applauded for their policy of that if you buy the physical article, you then get the digital version as part of the deal as well, don't you? Yes, they do that with uh, their CDs and um, the uh, downloadable audio as well. Uh, almost all of their their CDs, um, you get the, uh, the download bundled in in your account, if you buy the CD from them, of course. So I'll just mention while we're at this point then that if you go to bigfinish.com or follow the links in the show notes for this episode, you can get the hard copy that Brian has for £12.99 over here or you can get the digital PDF which I picked up for £7.99 um, and it's fairly straightforward and it downloads straight away and it, I think it's DRM free PDF. Um, That's and, right. Uh, yeah, nice and easy to get hold of. Uh, presumably, I mean, that's the same situation from Canada, is it? Yes, uh, you end up with um, uh, shipping that may be rather pricey going directly from uh, from Big Finish, but um, certainly the downloads and the physical copy are are available. There is also a bundle where you can get the audio adaptations and those are the avengers comic uh comic adaptations volumes one and two you can get those bundled with the comic either all as downloads or all as physical copies so you can as you say go and get the audio adventures as well and i guess you're going to recommend those as well to our listeners brian yes those are very good for sure and i I would note they've gone on to do some more comic book adaptations that aren't uh, in this collection, but that's from later on. I think that's from TV comic, I believe. Yes, it is. And those are a little bit different because the TV comic uh, stories, as I understand, I haven't seen them myself, they are very sparse. Uh, so they have... Uh, less of a detailed story than you have in uh, in Diana comic. So what you end up with is something where the adaptation is almost an original story based on like an outline that the comic gives you. There there's much more of the story is original in those TV comic adaptations uh, than they had with the with the Diana comic uh, adaptations. And those TV comic ones, some of them are with Olivia Poulet as Emma Peel, and some of them feature Emily Woodward as Tara King, which uh, Tara King being the co-star, uh, the... Um, character who replaced um emma peel 
and they've done some very nice things with those. In fact, they did one uh, recently that uh, that has Linda Thorsten, who played Tara King originally, uh, in the story as well. So they had the the two of them uh, there uh, there together in the the audio, and that was really nice. The two actors apparently got along very well. The two the two Tara Kings. Oh, that's great stuff. Uh, okay, fascinating. And um, 2000 AD fans will probably also be thinking, not connected to Big Finish, but be thinking of more comic book versions of the Avengers, uh, Steed and Mrs. Peel. But that time, uh, that's the Eclipse comics written by Grant Morrison and illustrated by the Halo Jones artist Ian Gibson, um, which came much later. But they were beautiful as well. I'll have to show you some images of that as well, Brian. And were those the ones that came out on Boom Studios? Yeah, I think Boom Studios now own those and have reprinted them and continued that story um, since. It was 1990, but Boom Studios have picked it up more recently, I believe. Yes, I believe I have a Humble Bundle with some of those. Oh, great. Uh, I haven't read it yet, but I believe I do have some in, uh, in a bundle there. So let me turn you back to these 64 pages from Diana Comic in the mid-60s and we'll play the Grail Page game and we might extend it to a Grail recording session game as well, Brian. If you could own any of this artwork, and I dare say it probably doesn't still survive, sadly, were there any particular pages... I can't imagine any of this would survive anywhere. No. Which is... Where, you know, which I'm sure it must have looked amazing in the originals. What what pages would you choose to hang on the wall of the virtual art gallery then, Brian? Okay, so there's a bit of an embarrassment of riches here, but page 36 from the Norse Code uh, is one that really jumps out at me because it has... Uh, a lovely little sequence of Emma Peel rescuing herself using a uh, a burning torch to um, to burn through the cords that are tying her and uh, avoiding getting too badly burned herself. Uh, it has uh, John Steed wielding his umbrella, and it even has. A Viking with an atomic bomb. So <laughs> that's one that uh, is uh, is quite something. Page 36. Well, we will grant you that one. And it does, as you say, it's got everything on that page. Uh, an eagle, a Viking, an atomic bomb, John Steed with his trusty brolly and Mrs. Peel rescuing herself and a plane on that page, plus the Avengers title logo as well. It's got the lot, I think, hasn't it? It it really does. There, there are a lot of good pages in this, for sure. Right, but that's the one, that's the pick of the bunch that's going to stand out for you, is it? I think so. I quite like the snow scenes. I think it's that sort of James Bond, uh, you know, often featured a skiing sequence. So I think I'd probably pick one of the snow scenes, possibly from the first story, um, which was so good. That's the return to Castle Death, isn't it? Yes. Um, so I will take one of yes, those. Yes, the snows of Scotland. Yeah, that's fantastic stuff. 
And if we... Are you going for a specific one in there? Well, I think it would be, because I'd like the title page. I think possibly page 12. It got Again, got the Avengers logo on there and has them on the uh, the ski lift. That's rather nice. Oh, yes, that's fantastic. That has a wonderful two-shot in the the bottom corner of the two of them. Absolutely, yes. And they really captured uh, particularly Patrick McNee there, I think. Yes. I'll throw another one at you, uh, which is, I believe it was, yes, page 30. This is, I think this is from The Golden Dresses. And it has some some two shots and a view through uh, a telescope and they're in boats with um, a great action frame in the lower left of uh, Emma Peel leaping into the water off of this capsizing boat with Steed leaping off in the background. Fantastic. And a submarine and a circular panel. We love a circular panel. Uh, yeah, great stuff again. Um, and, more... and, and it's giving you, uh, you had mentioned the um, different shapes of panels, and we certainly have that here. We also have overlapping things with, you can see Emma Peel's hands as, you know, her arms are extended in this jump overlapping onto the panel above and the panel to the right it's very dynamic and very uh it gives a lot of movement and action to it it feels like quite a hidden gem that we have this uh as you say quite dynamic artwork with you know this beautifully painted stuff and things off of uh reference photos that do a great job of capturing the the char- the television characters and this is something that is pretty well unknown that just uh, because big finish was doing audios uh and um you know massimo moretti from studio canal liked it <laughs> you know we happened to uh, to get this reprint it is a little artistic gem, really. Um, and now that you can get a nice, fairly cheap and easy to get hold of reprint of this art, spectacular artwork, um, it's astonishing. I and mean, we have to sort of like, as you say, shout out to Studio Canal and to DC Thompson and, of course, Big Finish um, for doing this and making it so easily available, Brian. I also find it fascinating that this was in a girls' comic at the time in part because the Avengers, as not a, a children's show in any way, uh, was something that incorporated um, a strong lead female character where um, characters like earlier Kathy Gale and then Emma Peel were much more strong and capable characters, but also had a much greater part of the story and more agency than you would have in the 60s. You know, this is uh, uh, unusual um, how much it was doing that. So I imagine that was a reason that it would appeal. But we got these 
sort of real, uh, you know, action-adventure comics uh, with this um, team of Steed and Peel in this girls' comic from the 60s. And I think that's really, really neat that that was happening. And, um, you know, we should hear more about those uh, kinds of things that were going on back then. We should indeed. And yeah, as I say, it was great to have this collection. And yes, a TV series that featured very strong, powerful female leads that became uh, a real hit with the viewers. And it's sort of very appropriate that your page 36, you've got Mrs. Peel, and she's not the damsel in distress. She is captured and tied up, but she manages to rescue herself. Um, she's a very capable woman. Uh, I think very talented amateur, as she's described in the opening to the American introduction to the Avengers TV shows. Uh, yeah, that may be right. She's uh, yeah, very ca- very capable and sort of the smart one between the two of them. Uh, yeah, very very interesting character, and they gave her a lot to do. And the chemistry between the two of them was was really strong. A game we've played on the previous Big Finish Audio episodes, Brian, was to imagine you could have a grail recording session. Are there any of these stories that you would particularly like to have been present for the recording of? From the ones based on the Diana comic strips or from any of the Big Finish Avengers? Well, let's do one of each, the uh, Diana ones and, and then in general ones as well. Okay, so I'll start with the general ones and say it would have to be the one with Linda Thorsten in it. Right. Uh, Where Linda Thorsten plays an older character. She plays the villain. She has a couple of characters, actually. And they did a lot with the interaction between uh, Tara King and the uh, Linda Thorsten character and by all accounts, the two actors, Emily Woodward and Linda Thorsten, got along very well and had some chemistry there too. So that would be uh, my overall pick for the Avengers at Big Finish for something I would have loved to have seen happening. In these ones, I think I would have to say it would be... uh, their version of uh, of Castle Diath, of Return to Castle Diath, which was really fun and brought in a lot of uh, a lot of these interesting things from uh, the uh, the TV series and that particular episode, and I believe it was our introduction to. Uh, the Olivia Poulet version of Emma Peel. Oh, interesting choice. That would be a good one, yes. They did the sort of um, uh, faux Scottish-sounding incidental music like the original TV episode did and all of that. And if we did the reverse uh, adaptation, are there any of the TV episodes that you would like to see become uh, either a comic strip or another Big Finish audio? Oh, interesting. For a comic book, I would say maybe I would love to have... I would love to see a comic book done in this style of From Venus with Love, 
which gives you fun characters and telescopes looking up at the sky and strange things moving across the landscape. Uh, I think they could have made that quite big and sort of uh, sort of uh, even more outrageous <laughs> than um, than the TV version. And I guess the other one would be. Uh, Mission Highly Improbable, which features the shrinking device. And, you know, they did all sorts of clever things to have uh, a miniaturized John Steed. And, again, they could have gone so much further with the visuals for that in this painted comic book style. Nice. They would make terrific comic books. I'd quite like to see the Cybernauts turn up as well at some point. (laughs) Yes, that would uh, that would be interesting. The Avengers, one of the things that they rarely did, if uh, if ever, was having returning villains. Uh, compared to most other shows, they really didn't do that. So the Cybernauts were sort of a tool of the villains, and they come up two or three times. And yeah, that would be something that uh, would be interesting to see uh, showing up in the the comics. Maybe additional Cybernaut stories. It's all fantastic stuff. Um, it's an interesting choice. We've not covered or even considered Diana comic at all on this podcast. But how lucky we are to have this big finished collection of the Avengers stories from the mid-60s in beautiful colour. It's great stuff. It's very cheap. It's nice to get hold of. Um, Highly recommended, Brian. Yes, I would certainly recommend uh, the big big finish audios for the Avengers, but I would also definitely recommend this comic book collection. It uh, is really something special. Great choice. Brian, let me turn you to guest projects time. Um, tell us a little bit more about what's happening on British Invaders, the podcast all about British science fiction television at the moment. We've got a bit of a tie-in going on, haven't we? We do, yes. And this is one. This is uh, a strange exception to the guest projects because it's one that you're involved with as well, Eamon, because the two of us host British Invaders together. We do, yes. And we are covering the Avengers, the TV series. Uh, Specifically, we are covering the Emma Peel years, which, uh, as you listen, should have just been released. We have two episodes covering that, where we had a lot of fun talking about those and uh, mentioned some of these various spinoffs, like uh, comic books and, and audio versions but got into uh, lots of fun stuff about the uh, the television series. Uh, so that was really enjoyable and um, hopefully well worth a listen. Yes, if you're listening to this episode when it comes out, then the last two episodes in the British Invaders feed will be about uh, the Avengers, the Emma Peel years. And you can find British Invaders pretty much everywhere you can find this podcast, I guess, Brian. Yes, and I think this is the first uh, crossover event we've done for uh, for British Invaders, and I think the first one for Mega City Book Club as well, right? It is, yeah, it is indeed a crossover. Podcasts collide. Um, 
What about every every, co- every comic book related property should have a crossover event at some point, right? Indeed, yes. What have we got coming up in the next few months on British Invaders? Oh, we have some fun stuff. We have A Christmas Carol, the 1977 adaptation of the um the Dickens story. We always like to do a ghost story at Christmas. And this was uh, our first time looking at something based on the best-known British Christmas ghost story, I think, from Charles Dickens. And that was um, a 1977 adaptation from the BBC that stars Michael Horton. Uh, Quite an interesting production there. Uh, And then going into uh, next year at least next year as we record, going into 2022. Uh, we have the uh, adaptation of Hogfather. That is the Terry Pratchett uh, story. So we have that coming up. Uh, that's a production that has David Jason in it. Uh, and Ian Richardson has a large role as... Uh, as the voice of death in that so that's uh quite a cool one to look at and then we will be jumping into fascinating 1960s version of alice in wonderland yes that one i'm particularly looking forward to i haven't seen it yet brian but it's got uh an astonishing cast um in a jonathan miller production of alice in wonderland uh that we're going to get to Yes, I haven't looked at it yet either, but that will be uh, a fascinating one to uh, to talk about for sure. As you can see, we get into uh, related genres as well as sort of uh, things that are definitely sci-fi. So we do like to get into a little bit of fantasy and ghost stories and things like that as well. And you can find all this at BritishInvaders.com or by following the links in the show notes for this episode. And you can, as I say, find British Invaders, your podcast app, wherever you're listening to uh, Mega City Book Club. Absolutely. And uh, do you want to tell us anything about Hooked on Bond? Is that still a thing? Hooked on Bond is still a thing, but it's been uh, quite a while since we've released anything. And the plan is to continue with that. We have released two seasons, uh, the first one covering the Sean Connery and George Lazenby James Bond films, the second one covering the Roger Moore films. And we have recorded more, and the plan is to do a third series, which will feature the um, Timothy Dalton and Pierce Brosnan films, uh, and those have been recorded, but that uh, is not out there yet. So the plan is uh, to release those as season three, uh, and uh, I can't give you any timing for when that will be at this point. Uh, life has gotten in the way, and doing uh, doing British Invaders has kept me busy, and other things have kept me busy, so... Hooked on Bond is still on hiatus for a little bit at the moment. Okay, but like James Bond himself, it will return. That's the idea. 
Brian, thank you so much for suggesting uh, the Avengers in Diana comic for this episode. Um, fascinating choice, and how lovely to have this little slice of 60s comic books in our hands. Absolutely. It's been lovely talking about it. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the links to Brian's other projects uh, on the page at megacitybookclub.com. Follow the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and the 2000 AD forums. Or email me with comments, queries, suggestions, or ideas for new books to mcbcpodcast at gmail.com. And that will do us. Until next time, when we're passing judgment on another great book, it's goodbye from me and from Canada. It's goodbye from me.